From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Wednesday, December 8th. When it's December and snow starts appearing on the mountains, it gets locals thinking about winter recreation. And avalanche forecaster Eric Trenbeth hopes skiers and snowmobilers headed into the backcountry pack some knowledge this season. You know, I just urge anyone who's interested in winter backcountry recreation to get educated. Consider taking a more in-depth avalanche course down the road. And then check your uh, daily avalanche forecast before you go out, or even if you're not going out. Because just staying on top of conditions helps you learn a lot as well. Trenbeth is hosting a free avalanche awareness course this Thursday at Moab's Arts and Recreation Center. He says this year, like last year, and yes, the year before that, the LaSalle's are set up for avalanche risk. That's because over two feet of snow fell in October, but November was mostly dry. For any white stuff that stuck around last month, the dry period has had a negative impact on its condition. One of the things that forecasters look for is early season snow and how it shapes up on the ground. And what quite often happens is we get early season snow in October, everybody gets excited, then we get a long extended period of high pressure, which is what we've had, and then the snow that's on the ground turns into a weak, sugary, what we call faceted layer, and that forms kind of an unstable base for any future snow loads, and sometimes that weak layer near the ground can plague us for most of the winter. He says there will be groomed trails that aren't threatened by avalanche terrain this season, but recreators do need to stay on top of the conditions anytime they venture into the mountains. Trenbeth is regularly updating Moab's forecast on the Utah Avalanche Center website. I am going out and monitoring how much the snow is changing and transforming into this pile of sugary facets that we're talking about. Once there's enough snow on the ground for over-snow travel, I will do daily updated reports with the with the danger rating. Right now, there's not a lot of snow on Utah's mountains, and most sites are recording well below 50% of normal, including Moab. Things definitely seem to be changing. Um, the jury's still kind of out on how climate change is going to affect snowpacks, but it seems like winters are getting shorter and warmer with the snow season starting later and ending earlier. Whatever the changes this season, there will be more automation this year to track them. In September, Trenbeth and the Natural Resources Conservation Service installed a snow telemetry or snow tell device in Gold Basin. It measures things like snow depth, air temperature, and water content. Water content in the snow actually determines how heavy the snow is. So not only is that important for water users, it's important from an avalanche perspective too. So if you can measure that water content, you have a much better idea of how much load is being applied to the snowpack. Which tells forecasters like Trenbeth how much risk there is for triggering an avalanche. He likes to remind recreators that avalanches are not random freak occurrences, and it's best to be prepared. Updates on avalanche conditions in the LaSalle Mountains are available at utahavalanchecenter.org. And Trenbeth's free No Before You Go presentation is tomorrow, Thursday at 6 p.m. at the Moab Arts and Recreation Center. 
chronically homeless people make up about 20% of the unhoused population. Many approaches to homelessness restrict access to services based on certain so-called self-improvement criteria. But some service providers are attempting to shift the narrative with a different approach by offering housing first. Alexis Kenyon with Rocky Mountain Community Radio reports. All right. Here we go. Robert Myers is 53 and showing me around his apartment in North Boulder. His name has been changed to respect his privacy. Pretty nice little, little get up, so. He lives in a 31-unit housing-first community called Lee Hill. The city rents all the units to people who have been chronically homeless. So that's a lot of my books that I've read. Before moving into this apartment, Robert had been homeless for about six years, living in and out of shelters. The Lee Hill community was Boulder's first experiment with a housing-first approach to homelessness, which prioritizes getting people housed over sobriety or workforce programs. Michael Block, the chief housing officer for Boulder Shelter for the Homeless, says the problem with pathologizing homelessness is it doesn't help people get off the street, and it leaves the most vulnerable people without support. The problem is when we were making criteria like you have to be sober, we weren't inspiring sobriety. We were filtering people. According to Block, a housing-first approach says the best response to homelessness is getting people housed. I know that every homeless person I see can't afford the rent. That's what I know. And that's all I need to know, because if I can make the rent affordable for them, I can end their homelessness. The housing-first approach has proliferated in recent years. The Office of Veterans Affairs began using it about 10 years ago. Homelessness among veterans has since dropped by half. In 2016, Denver created a Housing First program called the Supportive Housing Initiative Bond, or SIB. It housed 300 chronically homeless people living in Denver. Kathy Alderman of the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless says they convinced Denver officials with an economic argument. We would make proposals to say, look, we can house individuals for around $20,000 a year. And if we leave them to use emergency rooms, the jail system, detoxes, and shelters, it's going to cost upward of $40,000 a year per person. SIB ended up saving Denver millions of dollars, and 99% of the people they housed remain in the program. But getting people on board with Housing First means changing the narrative around homelessness, says Lyndall Ellingson, a resident coordinator for Boulder Housing Partners. I mean, I would say that a lot of homelessness has a lot more to do with luck than with choice. And it turns out that when people aren't living on the streets, getting exposed to more trauma every day, they can make big shifts in their lives. And as a community, you can save money. The next big challenge for Housing First is getting it funded at a national level, says Block. He cites a recent survey that found 83% of people who are homeless in Boulder became homeless somewhere else first. Homelessness is not being addressed nationally. And so it exists in these pockets. And Boulder is a pocket where it exists. The causes are all national and the politics, the impact is all local. So yeah, they do some solution stuff, but they also are in management mode. Even so, since Boulder switched to a housing first approach, it's made a huge difference. Hundreds are housed and supported. And I mean, I think that our community needs to be unbelievably proud of that. Back at Lee Hill, Robert says since he moved in, his health has stabilized, although he still struggles with a tremor which came on aggressively when he was homeless. 
One of the biggest emotions I've had over the years is a lot of anger at people because they don't get what it's like to go through a period where you just don't have anywhere to go. They don't get that they have a bed to go home to at night. Like for homeless people, it's not like that. Robert says when he first moved into Lee Hill, there was a lot of tension about whether or not housing homeless people was a good idea. But recently that shifted. I think we've just fallen on such a hard economic time that everyone's being squeezed now. And it's like it might go a longer way to all of us being compassionate to each other. In Boulder and Denver, Housing First programs continue to grow. Their success has pushed the topic of homelessness to the top of the agenda for local and state lawmakers. Still, when it comes to getting everyone who is chronically homeless off the streets, Boulder, Denver, and the rest of the U.S. have a long way to go. For KGNU and Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition, I'm Alexis Kenyon in Boulder. This story is part of a series on affordable housing between the Solutions Journalism Network and Rocky Mountain Community Radio Stations. And that's the KZMU News for Wednesday, December 8th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.